Hi. All right, so if you can hear, well, I know all of you in here can hear my voice, but anybody who may be still wandering, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. Good morning. Welcome back. I feel like we got started and then we stopped and now we're trying to get started again. Um, I hope you enjoyed your winter weather days. My family loved them. I have two little girls, and they, this was their first real snow that they could remember and actually like participate in, so we had a ton of fun, but I am glad to be back in person and back to a little bit of rhythm and routine since what feels like Christmas. So um, let me go ahead and pray for us real quick before we get started, before we jump in. Father, thanks for the opportunity to be here together again. Thank you um, for this word that you have given to us, this word that was written in community and was shared in community, and now we get to study together in community. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, um, that we would have any of our misconceptions about ourselves, about you corrected, um, and that we would be able to um, go forward today um, in the... um, in the confidence that you give us through your word. And I pray that as we speak, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts and the focus of our hearts are pleasing to you. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, since we have started and stopped some, let me go ahead and um, do a little quick recap of where we are. Um, If you'll recall, if you can think way, way, way back to that very first week in September when Lisa um, reminded us that it's helpful to think of Romans as being in three different sections. Um, And those sections are kind of focused around three different questions. The first one being, what is the gospel, which we covered in the fall? Um, And then how does grace change me, which is we kind of dipped our toes into that in the last couple weeks of the fall, and that's where we are right now. And then um, later this spring, we'll get into the third section where we talk about how does grace change how we live. Um, So last week in chapter 7 and this week in these first verses of chapter 8, We are seeing that grace changes us by breaking the power of sin and moving us from an old way of living by the law to a new way of living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope over the last week you had a chance to listen to Christine's great teaching on chapter 7. Either way, whether you got to or you didn't get to, let's just do a quick walkthrough of that real briefly to set us up for moving into chapter 8. In her teaching on chapter 7, Christine reminded us that the law was a tool, very much like an MRI. Um, It was designed to detect our sin and to diagnose our depravity, but it couldn't heal our disease. The law could detect and diagnose, but only Jesus could defeat our sin. And then she talked about how Paul walked through this concept of the struggle being real. Jesus has freed us from the punishment of sin. And with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are being freed from the power of sin over us. But we are not yet free from the presence of sin. And so there's a struggle between the sinful old woman and the redeemed new woman. And as we struggle, we can be tempted to despair. We see it in Paul in chapter 7, verse 24, when he says, um, 
Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The ESV translation puts it very strongly. What a wretched man I am. And Paul answers that despair in verse 25. He says that the answer to that is in Jesus. So today we'll be covering the first 17 verses of chapter 8, and we'll see Paul make some really incredible declarations that remind us of three very important things. Grace gives us a better word. Grace moves us to life by the Spirit. And grace brings us into God's family. So let's dive into that first thing, that grace gives us a better word. And I am going to start by reading Romans um, 8, verse 1. And I want you to do me a favor. It might feel weird, but humor me. Close your eyes. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. You can open your eyes again. Grace gives us a better word. Where the law and sin tells us we are condemned, grace tells us we are not guilty. So when we are battling our old nature and we fail, when we are struggling and we fall short, we might feel condemned. But that's no longer true of who we really are because now we are in Christ. And not only are we no longer condemned, we're also freed by the Spirit. And um, Paul continues in verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So when the voices of condemnation rise in our hearts, when we're struggling, we need to preach to ourselves the better words. No condemnation and freed by the Spirit. So how are these words possible? Well, in Romans 3, Paul gives us the answer, which is pretty much a little Cliff Notes version um, of the argument that he's been making all along in Romans uh, so far in these previous seven chapters. He says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus came as a man, and it's important to note that he said in a body like our sinful bodies. Jesus came as fully man, but he was sinless. And he was put to death on a cross um, as payment for our sin. So our debt is cleared. Our debt is wiped out. And in the words of a Bethany Bernard, who used to be Bethany Dillon, song that I love, no condemnation, I am free. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. So why did God do this? Paul tells us that too in Romans um, 8 verse 4. 
He says he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So how does Paul describe us in there? These, as people who belong to Christ, we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. And if you can think back to Christine's teaching um, in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, Paul tells us, Now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So because of grace revealed through Jesus, we are not condemned, and we are set free from the power of sin, and we are ushered into life through the Spirit. So um, most of Romans so far has had a real big emphasis um, on Christ, on being in Christ, and the work that is done for us through Christ. And here in chapter 8, Paul seems to make um, a shift. He kind of swings the spotlight onto the Spirit. And we are going to start here in verse 5 through 8. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under con their control of their sinful nature can never please God. And verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So um, in these verses, actually verses all the way through, uh, I think, 13, there is some variation of reference to the Spirit at least 15 times, maybe more depending on your translation. And um, it Paul here is really kind of reminding us that we have been justified in Christ. That means we've been made right with God. We have right standing with God through Christ. Um, and now through the Spirit, we are continually being sanctified. That means we are continually um, moving more and more to a life like Christ's. Um, and here in the NLT, we see him, Paul, use uh, words like, follow our sinful nature, follow the Spirit, um, being dominated by our sinful nature, being dominated by the Spirit. And these are words that are reflecting this idea of the patterns that are found in our choices, the patterns that are found in the way we live, the habits we form, the general bent of our lives. Is the general bent of our lives towards God and the things of the Spirit, or are they away from him and towards the things of our sinful nature, of our sinful flesh? Um, and he gives us some, a good look at what a person who is controlled by the Spirit looks like and what a person who is controlled um, by their sinful flesh looks like. When we are controlled by our sinful nature, by the flesh, we think on sinful things. Um, and Thinking on sinful things leads us to death. 
And it's not just a future death. I think we talked about this some last fall when we went through chapter 6. It's not just a future death. It's also a present death. So think about um, what life is like for someone whose mind is full of despair and fear and resentment and anger and envy. That's really not life at all. And a person who's controlled by their sinful nature, um, it tells us, is hostile to God, never obeys God's laws, and never will, and can never please God. But when we are controlled by the Spirit, we think on things that please the Spirit. And thinking to thing, on things that please the Spirit lives us to, leads us to life and peace. And it's, again, not just a future life and peace when we are someday fully restored and with him, but also a present life and peace. Again, thinking about what life must be like for a person whose mind is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and run through that whole list of the fruit of the Spirit. That is life, and it can be ours now through the power of the Spirit. And by implication, it doesn't specifically say, but we can um, infer that if a person who's controlled by their flesh is hostile to God um, and cannot please God, then we can um, infer that a person who follows the Spirit is a friend of God and pleases God. Now, I want to, before we move on from these verses, I want to read them again to you, but I want to read them to you in the English Standard Version. We've been, I've been reading so far from the New Living Translation. I'm going to read you five, um, five through eight again. Uh, actually, yeah, five through eight. For those who live according to the flesh, sinful nature, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So did you hear a phrase occurring over and over again in those verses? Somebody want to... Take a gander on which one I'm thinking of. Yeah, set your mind. Um, I love this ESV version um, in, these, in these verses because of that word, because of the word set. And I think it gets at the strength of what Paul is saying here. The person who lives by the Spirit sets her mind on things of the Spirit. And Merriam-Webster's dictionary um, lists dozens of definitions for that one little verb, that one verb set. Um, all of those definitions involve intentional action, involve a choice. Um, it explains, the dictionary explains that to set the mind means to direct with focused attention. So the person who's living by the Spirit makes an intentional choice to set her mind, to direct her focus, to direct her attention to the things of the Spirit. And we can find what those things are in lots of places in Scripture, but a good place to start would be Philippians 4.8, where Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So to sum that up, I think we can say that we are to set our minds on the good and the beautiful and the true. And those things are found right here in Scripture. We have access to them every day. Now, why do we think that Paul makes such an emphasis on our minds? Why do our minds matter so much? And it's because what we think about will eventually become what we do. The choices that we make will lead us um, into a path that goes either towards life or a path that goes towards death. Now, as he often does in Romans, Paul is presenting us right here with two contradictory and mutually exclusive things. If you can think back again to chapter 6 in the fall when we looked at being a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, we did this little exercise, opposites exercise, and we saw um, day cannot be night. You cannot breathe in while you're breathing out. You cannot be alive and dead at the same time. So you can't be neither. You can't be both. You also can't be neither. Our minds are not idle things. And we know this to be true. Have you ever tried to sit in silence and, and just clear your mind like people try to tell you to do when you're feeling wound up? Um, it's impossible. You cannot think nothing. Um, Dallas Willard in his book Life Without Lack puts it this way. You do not have the option of having a neutral mind. Your thoughts cannot be empty. As the old saying goes, nature abhors a vacuum. If you're not entertaining God's truth, you will be entertaining Satan's lies. So let us not forget that God has an enemy that would love nothing more than to lead us to our deaths. And one of the best ways he can do that is to conquer our minds. So if we want the spirit to lead us into victory over our old sinful natures, set your mind. Now, let's move on to verses um, 9 through 11. I'm going to read those quickly for us. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So if verse 1 of chapter 8 holds um, the incredible declaration of no condemnation, I think verse 11 holds another incredible declaration for us. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just in case we haven't caught on yet, Paul makes it abundantly clear in the next couple of verses, 12 and 13, that we are no longer obligated to obey sin and be bound for death. We do not have to live as ones that are condemned. Instead, we can make a different choice. We can live as those changed by grace, and we can put to death the um, deeds of our sinful nature. But how do we do that? That seems like a pretty impossible task. 
We aren't the ones who are doing it. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So when the struggle is getting real, when condemnation is creeping into our hearts and we are tempted to throw up our hands in defeat and despair, we need to remember who lives in us. So we've seen that grace offers us a better word, and we've seen that grace moves us into life in the Spirit. And now let's finish by seeing how grace welcomes us into God's family, um, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Another third incredible declaration for all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So God not only justifies us through Christ and is sanctifying us through the Spirit, but he welcomes us too. Grace has changed us from slaves to sons and daughters. Um, Tim Keller, you may, if you um, were joining New City, I think it was Easter of 2020 or 2021. Um, Chris Payne preached on these verses here, and uh, Tim Keller explains that Paul is using this imagery of Roman adoption, which was this concept that if a man did not have an heir, he would adopt another person, um, and that person would take on all of the um, privileges um, and rights and obligations of a true son. So that is true of us too here when we are being um, adopted into the family of God. We gain the privileges and the obligations and the inheritance of sons of God. So let's think for a few minutes about what some of those privileges are. And I think I sum them up in two things. We get the privilege of significance and the privilege of security. Um, we become significant to the Father. We get to join into an internet, intimate relationship with him, and we know that because we now call him Abba Father. And, and this is a, in the original language here, this is a very intimate, relational way of, we don't, we don't walk around call. well, maybe you did. I did not walk around calling my dad father. That was a very formal term. I walked around calling him dad or daddy, and that um, gave, gave context to our relationship, to the close relationship that we had, the access that I had to my dad, the way he um, loved me and supported me rather than a formal, separate thing here. So that's what we have through Jesus and through the Spirit with the Father. We have a close and intimate relationship with him. We are significant to him. 
And then we are secure in him. We're secure in our relationship with him. And we see that here in 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So the spirit that we have in us, in places in the Bible, it talks about the spirit being a deposit, a guarantee of our position in the family of God, in our relationship with him, in the future inheritance that we have. And that's the second thing that I want to point out as being um, a, a privilege of our position, or I guess that's the third thing, of our position with the Father is um, our, our inheritance. We are heirs with Christ. And if you were listening to any of New City's sermons, I think it was two weeks ago, the sermon was on Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And those spiritual blessings are our inheritance now. Just like we can have a present um, death or experience a present life, we also are experiencing a present inheritance, these spiritual blessings that we have received through Christ. And there are also blessings in the age to come. And these are um, our our, our inheritance through being joined with Christ and being in the Spirit. Um, Pastor Kyle Worley puts it this way, what Jesus has by right, he gives to us by grace. What he has by nature, he gives to us by adoption. And then Paul throws this little tiny disclaimer in there at the end. Um, it's another tough spot to break a section. We talked about how chapter 7 was kind of broken in a, in a tough spot, but another tough spot to break the section. Um, if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And next week, I think Lisa's going to be diving into the rest of chapter 8 and how that fits, how she gets a lovely task next, next week. So as we um, close today, I know some of us are very action-oriented people. I know that we love nothing more than seeing that check mark next to the item on the to-do list. And sitting here, we might think, look, I am so encouraged by these verses, and they really challenge my heart, and I love knowing them and understanding them, but what do I do with them? So let me give you two things for your to-do list. You pray and you preach. First, you pray that God, through his spirit in you, will reveal to you the places that maybe you're listening to your old sinful nature. Maybe you're listening to the old words that that sinful nature wants to say to you. Pray that he will show you where you're still following your sinful nature, making, setting your mind on things that aren't of the spirit, and maybe making some choices that are leading you to a present death. Maybe show you sometimes you're forgetting that you're a child of God and all those rights and privileges and, and responsibilities that go along with it. And then preach to yourself. Fill your heart and mind with truth and speak those little mini sermons over and over and over again. And maybe some practical ways of doing that are find a good Bible verse and write it in dry erase marker, not permanent marker, write it in dry erase marker on your mirror or maybe write it down on a card and tape it to your kitchen window so that when you're doing dishes, which happens every day, you are, you're preaching those words to your heart. Um, if music is more your thing, find songs that speak truth, that speak the words of scripture. Um, find songs that speak straight scripture. I don't, for any of you who have kids, 
slugs and bugs sing the Bible is on in our house a lot. And, and do you want to know? Anytime one of these verses comes up in church, you can guess. I can't read them without singing them in my head. So preach yourself the truth. And if you don't know where to start, start with these promises that we talked about today. You are not condemned. You are freed from the power of sin by the power of the Spirit. And that Spirit now lives in you and works in you and enables you to live in ways that please God. And you are a child of God. Sisters, even as we still struggle against our old sinful natures, let us set our minds on these good and beautiful and true promises. And let us hold fast to them. Let us live by them as we walk ever closer to the day when all things are going to be made new. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these beautiful promises, these beautiful guarantees. No condemnation. Freedom in the Spirit. Power to live by the Spirit. Being welcomed into your family. Help these to sink deeply into our hearts Reveal to us ways where we are maybe not um, trusting these promises and ways that, that our lack of trust is playing, playing out in our actions and our choices in our lives. Move us ever closer to you, ever closer to your son, to your spirit, to becoming um, more like Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.